from the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Van 14. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. 20 years ago, we were asked, what is the Matrix? And two decades later, we now know a lot more about the existential crisis that is one of the best science fiction films of all time. We'll look back at the music that made The Matrix what it is, and how the film could have been very different had its creators landed their first pick for Neo. You're not going to believe this. And we'll explore the technology behind the film. Oh, and we're going to give away our Google Home Max. Not yours. You're keeping that one. Well, I'm keeping mine. but you know. Although your wife, I'm sure, would have a different opinion. Well, completely. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. see the matrix what are you you high of course you you weren't into the star wars you didn't know much of that kind of stuff so i don't know how much science fiction you're really interested in no the first matrix movie is a very fine science fiction film Red Pill, The Blue Pill, uh, Neo, and The One, and uh, everything else that goes along with it. That was a good film. I kind of lost it with the second movie. I sat through it as, you know, kind of, okay, well, I want to see where this is going. By the time we get to the third film, I don't care. I I just don't care. They, uh, on Apple TV, I saw the other day, they had a a, a triple feature of all three Matrix films for 10 bucks or something. I was like, no way. I would rather sit through three Star Wars movies. The prequels, no less. Yeah, no kidding. So, no. Um, but the first movie is, it was, was, was clever, and it has become part of pop culture. Uh, I don't know how many people I know with Matrix screensavers on their computers. And when you say, do you want to take the red pill or do you want to take the blue pill, everybody knows what that means. Yeah, especially Trumpsters. Especially Trumpsters, Dimension A, Dimension B kind of thing. Um, I, um, I, um, yeah, so, so why do you ask? Well, two reasons. One, you mentioned uh, the Apple TV. They released The Matrix in 4K just recently. Oh. And 20 years ago this month, principal photography for The Matrix got underway. Really? And then in March of 1999 was the actual release date. Okay. I remember being very impressed with the music in that film because there was a sort of a golden age of soundtracks towards the end of the 1990s and The Matrix definitely fell into into that category because everybody realized that with these cineplexes in the malls that the kids were going to leave the theaters and go to the record store Matrix was was also part of this whole thing. 
was the epitome of the 90s too. Rage Against the Machine, Ministry, um, Prodigy, Rob Zombie, Meet Beat Manifesto, Marilyn Manson, they were all in it. One of my all-time favorite uh, bands from the 90s, Massive Attack, plays a role in it too at that scene where Neo is asleep in front of his keyboard and Trinity hacks into his computer. There was It was very good business to be on soundtracks in the late 90s. And not only did you get, uh, you know, a decent song from a big name artist, you sometimes ended up getting the artist's big single. So if you look at the track listing of The Matrix and you go down to, to Rammstein, uh, their big hit, Du Hast, is on the soundtrack, which is really good. There's a, a remix of uh, Dragula, a Rob Zombie song that was very, very popular. We can talk about uh, you know, Rock is Dead from Marilyn Manson. So it was a, it was a decent decent movie uh, or sorry a decent soundtrack that uh, here's a um, an interesting piece of trivia it was produced by Guy Siri. do you know who Guy Siri is? no who? Guy Siri was uh, Madonna's manager still is and is now currently the manager of U2 so back in the day he was dabbling in the soundtrack universe and uh, that's how he you know built up his cred or part of the way he built up his cred good now Outside, there's a scaffold. How do you know all this? We don't have time, Neo. To your left, there's a window. Go to it. Open it. You can use the scaffold to get to the roof. No way! No way! This is crazy! There are two ways out of this building. One is that scaffold, the other is in their custody. You take a chance either way. I leave it to you. I had read that uh, the composer of the score, outside of all of the, the bands that were brought in as well for the soundtrack, but the actual composer for the score that plays throughout the film, Don Davis, uh, looked at the way they were actually shooting the film and mirrored it in the music. Um, you mentioned Red Pill, Blue Pill. Um, mirrors appear frequently in the film, and he wanted to play off that, I read. Um, for example, uh, when Neo gets captured by the agents, uh, the rearview mirror on Trinity's uh, motorcycle uh, captures the scene. After he's consumed the Red Pill and he's waiting for it to take effect, he looks into a mirror that 
that starts to fix itself. And so Don Davis was quoted as saying that he wanted the score to be orchestral, choral, synthesizer, depending on the scene, the moment, the, the mirror effect, whether the mirror was focused on the human or the machine. And if the machines were dominant, it changed the tone of the soundtrack. That's interesting. I've always been fascinated by movie soundtracks because what you have to do is somehow sum up in music what's happening on the screen. You either you want to emphasize the action, the dialogue, uh, everything that, that you're watching, and it can't be too terribly intrusive either because I've seen a lot of movies where the soundtrack is just get, no, turn it down. It just does, it's just too annoying. But uh, if we go again back to The Matrix... Uh, the music was an important part of the whole creepy, you know, cyber techno um, uh, vibe of the whole film. Hello, Neil. How do you know their name? I know a lot about you. Who are you? My name is Trinity. Trinity. The Trinity? That cracked the IRSD base. That was a long time ago. Jesus. What? I just thought, um... You were a guy. Most guys do. I don't know if you know this, but there was an original track listing that came out around the time the movie did. And this was the score, not the soundtrack, the score. Okay. And uh, it was only about 29 minutes long. But then in uh, 20, uh, 2008, they uh, re-released it. And uh, they got about, well, we got about 78 minutes worth of music on that. But uh, if you have a hard time finding the physical disc for that one, it's not no surprise because it was limited to 3,000 copies. Again, it, it, this, this was, when you get into music uh, movie scores in the modern day, you got to be a real nerd to uh, to want this in your collection. Visually, I suspect that the, the biggest thing that The Matrix will be remembered for was the bullet time effect. Yeah, and the uh, the bullet time effect and this, this sweeping multi-angle camera thing that allowed you to see things from different perspectives. Uh, in, it, in, it was mimicked time and time again well, after that. It was, it was. You know, uh, uh, Neo would be bending over backwards to avoid a bullet uh, that's coming at him. And you can see the the, the, the turbulent wake from, mm-hmm. from the bullet, uh, you know, coursing through the air. That, again, what are we dealing with? What year was that? 19... 19- it was 1998 uh, when they recorded it, and then, of course, it released in 99. Okay. They used 120 still cameras, digital still cameras, and two film cameras to get that near 360-degree effect. Of course, it couldn't be all 360 degrees, otherwise you'd see the crew. Yeah, that's true. Everything begins with a simulation. All the computer simulation information is the basis of a uh, timing uh, sequence. Each camera has a specific moment in time to fire a frame of film. All that is uh, taking into account the net effect, the total effect of the move. That is a camera coming up to speed, moving at a speed, and coming uh, uh, off a speed.
particular rig, there are 120 cameras and two motion picture cameras set up. The rig that we've made can be configured into any uh, shape that you want. The shapes are, are basically what uh, we compose in our simulations. It can do uh, S-curves, it can do arcs, it can do spirals, it can do anything you want. It's a, an erector set. The heights of the cameras, where they're pointing at also from the same simulation. Uh, in the middle of that box right there is a, um, uh, a motion control uh, laser pointing system that uh, takes a uh, an animation file and uh, creates a point on the surface of that cube that tells us where to point the camera. The two motion picture cameras are going to be in this particular shot running. That's that's running at 150. That one's running at 120. There are other bullet times where the end camera is a photosynapse camera, so, so we'll be uh, running that at 360. I can uh, choose at will any elapsed real-world time uh, to photograph. That is, if I have a guy falling over, I can choose to capture the whole event in the time that it takes to go around the circle. I could choose to capture only a very brief moment. And that is how we determine what frame rate uh, the cameras eventually uh, wind up. It's interesting because those effects back in 98, 99 would have you know, been super state of the art. And today you could probably do this on your phone. <laughs> You're probably not far off from the truth. Yeah. Do you know that uh, Keanu Reeves wasn't the first choice? No. It was Johnny Depp. All right. Well, that kind of makes sense because he was he was hot at the time oh, and yeah. he could have probably pulled it I, off. But I don't think so. Um, I, maybe I'm just too caught up in his Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, but that mode. came later. That came. Yeah, I know. You can't beat Hawking like that. He hates to lose. Everyone knows the guy's a big baby. I mean, forget the wheelchair. He should be in a stroller. <laughs> really? One time when I was working with him, he said that Johnny Depp was in The Matrix. I told him he was wrong, but he kept insisting. So I looked it up online and showed him. Well, the next day, he had a pizza party, and everyone got invited but me. <laughs> and then he was all, your invitation must have gotten lost in The Matrix. Keanu Reeves, he, he was Bill Ted's excellent adventure. I mean, he was not exactly you know, the super metaphysical superhero that he became, in, in, you know, after that. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? I'm the Earl of Preston. And I am the Duke of Ted. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. I remember when The Matrix came out and people think Keanu Reeves is this weird messianic character. Are you kidding me? Somebody did a, a, a super cut of all the times Keanu Reeves says, whoa. <laughs> whoa. 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 Okay. Oh. <laughs> Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Val Kilmer were all asked to do it. They all turned it down. They turned it down. 
They turned it down. So did Will Smith. Um, Will Smith could very well have been the Keanu Reeves character, Neo. He turned it down. His wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, was supposed to play the role of Trinity that Carrie Ann Moss ended up playing. But apparently there was no chemistry between her and Reeves. They ended up casting her in the subsequent films. I had a big thing for Trinity. Did you have a big thing for Gillian Anderson? Oh, yes, I still do. Then you, sir, would have been in heaven because Gillian Anderson turned down that role that Carrie Ann Moss played. Really? Carrie Ann Moss was actually worried that she would be recast or kicked out of the production. The very first scene she shot, do you remember that? It's the opening scene. She's running across the rooftop trying to escape the agents. Yeah. She twisted her ankle and continued to work on the stunts out of fear that if she told them, hey, listen, I just hurt myself, that they go, okay, you're out. We're going to get somebody else to do it. I sent two units. They're bringing her down now. No, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. film was done in Australia, wasn't it? In Sydney? It was all done in, in Australia, in Sydney. As a matter of fact, the uh, the Wachowski brothers, at the time brothers anyway. Brothers, yes. Now sisters. Um, they named all of the streets in the film after streets in their hometown of Chicago, but it was filmed in, in Sydney. I remember seeing some of the overhead shots, and this would have been pre-drone times. It must have been very expensive helicopter shots uh, flying over the city. That helicopter shot uh, in the big scene towards the end uh, was a full-on helicopter minus the blades. Can you fly that thing? Not yet. Operator. Tank, I need a pilot program for a B-212 helicopter. Hurry. Let's go. And they had to add the blades digitally later on, uh, essentially a strobe effect to help can give you the idea that there was blades when in fact there weren't any at all. And it was all done by wire. No. Have you seen the 4K version? I don't own a 4K television. Should I? Yeah, I think you should. I There's, there's precious little material to view <laughs> you're, you're doing a fine job selling it by the way no i i know but the, the whole idea was about buying a 4k tv was to future proof it as much as possible because you know that 4k is coming and nhk in the uk in, in japan is already working on 8k i was just going to say why bother going four if you know eight's coming well the problem is that the human eye can't really differentiate really? the difference between 4k and 8k that's from what from what i understand i mean that would be really good for things like um you know, technologies like x-rays and, and things where you need super, super fine resolution. But as far as uh, watching television or watching a movie or watching a sporting event, uh, 4K should be enough. So then why do I want a 4K TV if there's not a lot of content in 4K? Uh, because it's coming. <laughs> I mean, you're starting to see it. You know, you're starting to see it on Apple TV. You're starting to see it on some cable companies. I have some on-demand uh, movies that are available out here in, in, in the hinterlands in the uh, 905 area uh, that are available on 4K. And... Um, 
Well, I haven't really dove into the whole business about, uh, you know, a 4K DVD player. I just can't see me doing that. But this stuff is starting to be delivered. I mean, even I think even Netflix is getting into 4K. So uh, it doesn't really matter if it's if it's, uh, you know, a, a crappily shot film, but something like, you know, The Matrix or uh, Blade Runner 2049 or, or something like that would look f- spectacular. You know, you get the you get the really dark blacks and the really clean whites and then everything in between is great. And then, of course, the resolution uh, is fine. As long as your TV doesn't smear everything with its uh, display, it has to be able to uh, react very, very quickly so that the uh, the um, the 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 video does not get all smeary. You used to see that on some HD TVs watching sports, uh, especially mm. hockey, because you'd have a guy in a black uniform on a white surface, and if he was moving very fast, there was this weird smear effect. But they've more or less cleaned that up. You can buy an 8K TV for thirteen thousand dollars. Yeah, today, thirty three point one million pixels. Okay, so how big is the screen? It's a 70-inch screen. That, okay, so you can go to any place, you can, any Best Buy, you can get a 70-inch screen 4K from somebody like Sony or LG or Samsung, and you're paying somewhere between $4,500 and $6,000. Update your pricing, my friend. I'm on the Best Buy website right now. For 1800 bucks. Sony sells a 70-inch TV. Really? 4K. Okay. And they call it a smart TV. Do you have a smart TV? Everybody seems to have a smart I, TV. I've, I've got a couple, but I... But do, I do you use any of the smarts? Absolutely not. No, I didn't think so. I, 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 no, I use the Apple TV for everything. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Apple TV has largely dropped the ball on that as a, as a unique product in and to itself. They might as well load it up with Netflix and call it a day, because it's the only thing I use it for other than screen sharing. What else do I use it for? Um... For games? No, I use it for. Uh... Occasionally, use it for AirPlay because there's a couple of apps that I have that I, I want to project onto the TV. Right. Uh, before they got the app for Amazon television i was i was airplaying everything and um what else do i use it for i owe oh, britbox which is a, a collection of um i keep seeing ads for that on facebook yeah it's it's okay i'm, I'm I, I was an early adopter i've got it for eight dollars what is it kind of like netflix but british yes manuel there is too much butter on those trays okay there is too much butter on those trays no 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 senor what? not not on those tries. No, sir. Uno, dos, tres. So it's, it's the BBC, ITV, Channel 4, they're all together. And uh, it's, it's a bit light on content right now, but um, I'm hoping it's going to get better. But I, I haven't checked to see if there is an Apple TV app for that. So what I'm doing right now is, um, is, is airplaying. Do you have a favorite character from The Matrix? 
No, Carrie Ann Moss. I'm sorry. You're right, right, right back to the to, to the tight, tight latex. I'm right back to her. I mean, she, you know, she 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 rocked the leather, and the fact that she was Canadian, you know, that was just another thing, right? Oh, I didn't know she was Canadian. I'm pretty sure. Check the intertrons. Oh wait, hang on. Okay, <laughs> Google. Hey Google. No, wait, what happened well, to you? Why don't you just say hey, Google and then tell it what you want to do? Yeah. There are lots of things I can help you with. All right, shut up. For example, you can say, who is India playing in cricket? Who's or, broadcast its lunchtime? Do you want a couple more ideas? No, thank you. Uh, hey, Google. Okay. <laughs> is Carrie Ann Moss Canadian? According to Wikipedia, Carrie Ann Moss is a Canadian actress. Awesome. Where is she from? I don't think it has, it provides you with follow-up options without no. the, the, the wake word again. Did you know that Sean Connery was supposed to play Morpheus? Oh, that would have been good. Sean Connery, why don't you pick? Well, the game is afoot. I'll take anal bum cover for 7000 <laughs> Trebek. That says anal bum cover. I spent five years of my life trying to invent an anal bum cover. Failing to do so is my greatest regret. <laughs> yeah. The actors were required to brush up on their philosophy before they even got to read the script. Oh, of course. I mean, it's, it's a very deep film when you start getting into that sort of stuff. Simulcra and Simulation. What? That was the primary book from 1981, a philosophical uh, book by uh, Jean Boriard, in which he examines the relationships among reality, symbols, and society, and uh, their significance in culture and media in constructing what he refers to as an understanding of our shared existence. Oh, great. Yeah, his claim is that our current society has replaced all reality and meaning with symbols and signs, and that the human experience as a result is actually a simulation of reality because we're focused on those symbols and signs, not what they mean. Well, this goes into these this this whole other area of cosmology where everybody, a lot of these scientists are saying that the all our experience, everything that we see in the universe is nothing but a grand simulation being run by some alien culture. Yeah, but Douglas Adams was talking about that in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, that's uh, yeah. He was he was yes. Okay, I'll give you give you that. But now scientists are are seriously you know giving this consideration, and uh, that's kind of weird. But okay. But is the answer forty two? Ooh, that is the question, isn't it? Uh, Sumulkar and simulation delineates the idea that our world is uh, a simulation of reality based upon four stages. Stage one of our society is that we create these faithful reproductions of reality, uh, of, of things in reality. And then stage two is the signs and images end up not faithfully revealing reality to us, um, but start to obscure actual reality. Stage three you is... You lost me. I'm gone. I know. Uh, flat out mass 
masking the absence of reality. So we, the, the, these signs and symbols that we use every day become not faithful copies of what we really mean, but copies of things that have no original. And then the fourth stage is where this is all simulation and that these signs, these, these, these symbols that we use don't actually have any connection to reality whatsoever. So simple examples, um, media blurs the lines between the products we need and the products we don't need. But we see these commercials that give us a false sense that we need something. You flip, but they flop. Now your pancakes are a mess and all that butter and fat to cook them? There's got to be a better way. Hi, Mark Gill here for the Perfect Pancake Pan, the fast, easy, spatula-free way to make picture-perfect pancakes every time. So that's an example of what he's talking about. Anything in a as-seen-on-TV infomercial. Uh, he, uh, money is another example of this. Money is a symbol of the value of goods. But then money becomes a reflection of the value of goods, and goods become the reflection of the value of money. So it becomes that sort of vicious circle. And then the third example is urbanization. We sort of extricated ourselves from the, from the forest. We became uh, separate from the animal kingdom with an urban culture. And then the urban culture reinforces our arm's length connection to the real world, such that a city is really not a reflection of reality, because this is not what reality would be if we didn't construct it ourselves. Do you have any idea what you just said i do i had to write it to be able to read it okay well good okay i'm glad you're not talking about <laughs> off try, the top try, of your try. head because i was feeling really pretty inadequate right there I, I spent about 30 minutes trying to digest and decode um what he was writing in an effort to turn it into something understandable i i hope i did half a good job of it yeah well okay i i sort of followed what you were saying it kind of feels like the matrix code itself right? well, yeah it does is that the matrix yeah. Do you always look at it encoded? Well, you have to. The image translators work for the construct program. But there's way too much information to decode the matrix. You get used to it. I, I don't even see the code. All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead. Did you know that's a custom typeface? Is it really? Yeah. Uh, Simon Whiteley designed it. It includes mirror images of uh, both Asian and Western Latin letters and numerals. And of course, the reason why they went with green is because that was, you know, early monochrome computer screens. I, my first computer screen was a monochrome green screen. I'm trying to remember if I ever had one. I know the first computers I ever used uh they were yellow. Right. So you either had amber or monochrome green. Yeah. My, the Commodore pets I used in high school were white. Yes. And they were easier on the eyes. I remember getting a headache from looking at the amber ones. Yeah. And, and the green ones weren't that much better. No. There's a scene where Neo wakes up in that pod that's connected to the Matrix. Uh-huh. Because, of course, it's that big opening scene. He takes the red pill. It um, scrambles his connection to the Matrix, which gives them the ability to pinpoint his location in this, these massive, basically server farms of humans. And um, in that, that, that big pod that he, he's in, yeah. they were doing some testing. And the guys who were doing the testing of it before the principal photography, one of them suffered hypothermia. Oh, God. Because he was in this giant pod of cold water, uh, and he got hypothermia in less than eight minutes. So they had to heat the pod for when the actor showed up. See, if you keep batteries cold, they go flat faster. Oh, good point. Yes. Yeah, copper top was the euphemism for anyone who was still in the Matrix connected. Mm. 
one of the things that really blew me away um, in, in the in the scene where they're rebuilding his not rebuilding because he never used his muscles before uh, they're uh, helping basically give him muscle mass and all that he still needs a lot of work what are you doing your muscles have atrophied we're rebuilding them why am I sir you've never used them before oh such a deep statement mm-hmm the Wachowskis had to hire an underground comic book artist named Jeff Darrow and Steve uh, Scrochi to draw a 600-page shot-by-shot storyboard of the whole film before Warner Brothers greenlit it. Yeah, I can understand. I mean, that movie, if, if, you, if that script came across your desk and you're a studio head, you are going to look at it and go, man, this is going to be expensive. What's it going to look like? Where's my money going to go? And how are we ever going to make it back? So storyboarding the whole thing would have been actually would have been really helpful to the to the direction and the writing, too. Don't you think? Absolutely. They gave him 60 million bucks. The film made 460 million. Yeah. And it's one of those evergreen films that'll be around for a very long time. And people will continue to rent it and continue to watch it because um, it's it's a good science fiction movie. The other two in the series, not so much. But that first one. Yes. Kia phone that uh, Neil uses at the beginning of the film. Oh, that dates it a little bit, doesn't it? The Nokia banana phone used in the film, they're bringing it back. Are they really? They are. It grows in bunches. I've got my hunches. It's the best. Beats the rest. Cellular, modular, interactive, modular. Nokia is really trying to do something because they realize a lot of people are getting tired of smartphones and want to go back to dumber phones. The Nokia 8000 series phone was the one that they launched in 1996. They updated it for the 1999 film, but... But this one for 2018 has some changes to it compared to the one that Neo got to play with. Um, it's, first of all, it's got 4G on it, something that certainly didn't <laughs> exist back in 1999. No. It's preloaded with Facebook and Twitter, and it's got a touch screen up at the top, but it still has the little squishy buttons that you can use to dial the phone. Okay. 2.4 inch display and a two megapixel camera on the back. So that sort of takes us back to 1999. Uh, how many? Two? Yeah, just two. I remember my Motorola Razor, which was my favorite phone before my iPhone, had a 0.8 pixel camera. The battery life on this uh, phone they're re-releasing? Take a guess. Okay, Nokia was always really good for batteries. Uh, I'm going to say, is it uh, talk time or standby time? Uh, yeah, I don't know, just single charge. Okay, single charge, mostly standby time. I'm going to say two weeks. 17 days. Ah. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We're giving away a Google Home Max. Yes. Um, I have mine in the kitchen right now. My, my wife continues to swear at it, but I use it all the time. Uh, not, not very effectively, as we just learned. No, we, we no, this, is, this is a Google Home here in the studio. I now have 
uh, let's see, the Google Max in the kitchen. I have a Google Home here in the studio. Uh, I have a Google Mini in my office, and I have a Google Mini in the gym, which I use to uh, give you know count me down when I'm doing exercises. So you're happy with the Max, uh, aside from your wife's frustration? I, I listen. It sounds great. Works great. Looks uh, you know it, it's about the size, like you say, of a bread box. So it, it's mine's black. It's sitting on my black marble countertop. Oh, you got the black. It one. looks great. It blends in. And uh, it's it's actually sitting. It's right next to the toaster. And and whenever I need a timer, whenever I need uh, you know a podcast, whenever I need some music, it's it's right there. And I'm I'm very happy with it. And uh, you know you, we saw this past week that uh, or last week that that the Apple HomePod is coming out. And you saw the price, right? The HomePod will be priced at four forty nine in Canada and available June eighteenth. And I, you know, even though I'm very, very deep into the whole Apple ecosystem, I am not getting one. I am happy with my Google ones. Yes. And uh, I'm, uh, there's no need for me to change. I, I was more interested in the Apple HomePod for uh, the smart home integration, but I'm not too concerned about it either at this point because it, all that new modern day smart home stuff integrates with the Google Home Max as well. Yeah, well, I'm slowly working that that out. You know, you you know, you know, you're driving people crazy because someone wants to find out whether or not they won this. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to give uh, the sponsor as much credit as possible. <laughs> can. My, go ahead. So the way we did this, of course, is the only way you could win is to be a member of the world's worst intern program, where you join the world's worst intern program by paying us to work on the show. You don't do any actual work on the show, uh, and then at the end we just say thank you uh, for your money and we pocket that for every dollar you donate per episode. So that's one raffle ticket going into the digital bin. And um, as a result, if you donated um, $11.35, as Sean Sosnowski did, uh, via not our Patreon account, but via our PayPal account, if you go to geeksandbeats.com, just click support the show and you can have the options. Uh, Brandon Heggie, a uh, dollar per episode with no limit uh, on Patreon. Silver Rye, I think this is, donated $1.11 per episode. Okay. So I guess he gets one raffle ticket and an 11th of a raffle ticket. He had to make it complicated, didn't he? I know. Do you remember a few weeks back we had uh, Rob Ashlin donate $3 with a $2 limit? Yes. And we're like, what the hell? <laughs> well, he just changed it to 13 bucks. Oh, okay. So thank you very much, Rob, for supporting the big show. Uh, so all of those people, as well as everyone else who has supported the show in, in the past, uh, are in the digital bin. So you want to spin it? Go. Congratulations, Lisa Malia, the winner of a Google Home Max. Thank you so much for supporting the big show. Uh, she put in 23 tickets. Very nice. See, victory through sheer volume. <laughs> exactly. So, Lisa, uh, we will get in touch with you, or you can get in touch with us to make sure that uh, we get that out to you in the next little while. Uh, we will be giving away things, of course, from time to time as things move along. So if you would like to support the show, it is not, we're not asking you to do it so you win something. We're asking you to do it to support us. And uh, whenever we have an opportunity to give something away, we'll make sure that those who have supported us will get the opportunity to be supported back. So my last Matrix fun fact that scene where Keanu Reeves gets unplugged from the Matrix, he lost 15 pounds for that scene and shaved every hair on his body. <laughs> How's that for dedication? This is why people flock to Patreon to give us money, so we can learn stuff like that. 
Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation. Excellent!